the VGRT Gaming Podcast, episode 644, recorded on March 24th, 2022. Forty-fourth edition of the TD Gaming Podcast and four hundred and seventy-seventh episode of Video Game Roundtable. I am TJ Denzer. I am Scott Dirk, and I am Jonah Falcon. The VGRT Gaming Podcast focuses on game news from around the industry. Yeah, you know what? We sound terrific. Every no one has any uh, audio issues. Correct. Now watch, watch this. I, I, I listen to the audio, and it's like everybody's wavering back and forth with a lot of wow and flutter. <laughs> <laughs> Accidentally, my mic is on chipmunk. <laughs> and you know, I spend the entire I spend the entire podcast yeah, sounding like this. <laughs> so, uh, terrible. Anyways, what have you been playing, DJ? Uh, still lots of dying light on the weekends. Uh, uh, that torture. Okay. I mean, torture, if by torture you mean fun. Have you been playing Elden Ring? I have been playing Elden Ring here. You know I have a few thoughts about uh, that, right? Oh, yeah? Yeah. But anyways, go on with what what you've been playing, and I'll talk about Elden Ring later. Well, I've been splitting my time between all the open-world games that are coming out, but uh, recently I finished my review of Ghostwire Tokyo. Oh, God. Oh God! Oh God! Yes, it sucks. It's a walking simulator, and it's completely dull. You're fucking insane. It's not. It a is. Walking simulator it is. It is. Well, here's the thing. A lot of it is a walking simulator until you get to the pre pre made action sequences, quote unquote. It's a walking simulator the same way that Red Dead Redemption is a walking simulator. Oh, uh, trust me, no. A lot of it is just empty. Or Dying Light is a walking simulator. Or Prototype is a walking simulator. That's completely inaccurate. And Ghostwire Tokyo is such a hot mess. <laughs> it's not, though. To you it isn't, maybe, but it is it's, a hot mess. It isn't. <laughs> there are so it's, many parts of that game point. in which I can I can tell where they had to strip out features. And um, that made me investigate the game's history, and I found out, yeah, they had to strip out a lot of features. That's fine. It still plays well. It plays well, but it sucks. Uh, I mean, no. <laughs> How about well, that? That's about the end of that one. To me, it sucks. <laughs> so for those who don't know... To um, you who hasn't played it, it sucks. I've played it. Uh, Ghost Ghostwire Tokyo is basically Ghostbusters. You're around there. A cataclysm has happened. You have to suck up ghosts or release them or whatever. You know, you deal with ghosts in different ways. Um, occasionally, they'll attack you, so they have to, uh, they have to put in... An, uh, it, you know what game it reminds me of, actually? Does anybody remember Soul Suspect? No. Yeah. So S O U L Suspect. Anyways, the real point. It is Soul Suspect. Now I'm thinking about yeah, it's exactly like Soul Suspect, except there was detective work in Soul Suspect. <laughs> There's detective work in, in Ghostwire as well. Not quite the same. This one's more of like what L A Noir did. I mean, Soul Suspect was more like. L.A. Noir, except... Sure, you don't, like, interview anyone in this game, but there's still a lot of, like, investigation. 
Yeah, and then in Soul Suspect, they had to they had to shoehorn in all these combat combat sequences because they figured, you know, we got to give the players something to do. This is before Gone Home and uh, and what uh, you know what remains of Edith Finch and all the the other games came out that said, no, you don't have to do that. Anyways, yeah, I don't know. Ghostwire Tokyo is probably the most gorgeous game I've played this year. It's a far. nice looking game. Um, it's uh, and then like the the premise, like I'm not gonna say it's a perfect game by any stretch of but, the imagination. Well, well, let's go back to the look for a second. I mean, it does nail the mood because um, it uses rain in the best way. Because when it's raining, it feels oppressive. It uses rain and fog and atmosphere fantastically. Because here's the whole. Uh, this is what I was gonna get to. The whole premise of it is actually that this one guy basically is starting a ritual that joins the living world with the afterlife. Yeah. You're going to see a lot of Japanese things in it too. Like, have you wondered where those uh, paper birds from uh, spirited away came from? You know, when those little paper birds were attacking and caused paper cuts. Yeah. One of the things that you use is one of those little paper birds. Um, yeah. But the point is that like this fog descends on the, on the, on Tokyo and basically rips every single person's soul right out of their body and stops basically living human life as, as you know, it in its tracks. So you got a lot of the city where like you got like crashes at intersections, uh, clubs that still have music going on. A lot of like different things where like you could, they built it up where like there was, hustle and bustle of life and it was just gone in an instant and in its place is just these demons that are either trying to take the souls of the people and take them to hell or they're just random yokai that have uh, come into the world because of the uh because of the ritual i like any game in which the web one of the weapons you use is just this piece of paper with writing on it yes <laughs> um, the, tal- the talismans are pretty neat. Like they, there's one for distracting. There's an element of stealth in the game mm-hmm. where you can actually use your powers and talismans to distract enemies and then sneak up on them and kill them instantly. And the and the fact of the matter is, like, you can't kill any demon just by like normal means. You actually have to chip away at their physical form and then rip a soul co- core out of them. Um. I just like, like that game from that was made for Microsoft a while ago, uh, Recore. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> um, so, by the way, for the uh, it's right out it's out right now on PlayStation, but it's coming out tomorrow, which is uh, March 25th on Steam. So, it's a very different thing for Tango GameWorks because The Evil Within was like straight up brutal horror, right? It was um, it was Resident Evil it was Resident Evil Four basically it was oh there's horror but guess what we're gonna give you a shotgun and these weapons and all this stuff go wild <laughs> and like this game did not have the best marketing let's say that right no, now it's, like it, a lot of people had no idea what Ghostwire Tokyo was supposed to be up until like a month before it came out it's a slow burn it's a slow burn game it's a very slow but, burn game wasn't what, there a reveal of this like years ago. No, they had a they had a teaser trailer. It was announced at E3 2019. Which yeah. by, by the way, that teaser trailer outright lied about what this game was about. <laughs> Do you remember? What did the teaser trailer say? Do you remember it was uh, it was that little girl and the guy in the um in the space in the pressurized space suit? Or am I thinking of a different game? 
I think you are thinking of a different game. Maybe that was Platinum's new game. I remember there was a big hubbub about the girl who introduced the trailer and they, they were thinking she was so cute. Cause she was being all humble and nervous and, and like, just, yeah, no, I think I, that was a trailer for the game. Yeah, no, that was the teaser trailer for it. It was just, it was completely not what this game was is, <laughs> but like I said, you know, there was a, this game has had a troubled history. Um, so it's basically really patched up. It came out, better than i would have ever expected it to be it's got some of the it's, most it's, it's a very more, atmospheric game yeah absolutely and i think that's one of the best things it nails down is it doesn't use music that overtly except for like intense situations and you it kind of just lets the world fill the city around you fill in the the space the sound space which is one of the things I like most about it. But I also like their adaptation of various – it's like a lot of Japanese traditional and urban mythology, and a lot of it is interesting. I really do like a lot of their set pieces in the game. It makes, um, it makes me wonder what Microsoft is going to tell them after this, um, and if they're just going to say, you know what, here's here's an unlimited budget, just go wild. They already have their next game in the works as of today. Oh. Uh, Shinji Mikami said that – he wants Tango Gameworks to get away from this, from like, sense <laughs> that they can only do survival horror. And so. Oh, Ghost that's War- right. I read that. I read that from uh, Shack News. Yeah. <laughs> Ghostwire Tokyo is kind of a semblance of that because it is more of, I would say it's more of a paranormal thriller than it is a horror. Um, but they are saying that the guy who directed uh, the evil within two is working on something that is the complete opposite of horror. I'll just wait for this to be on Xbox game pass next year. I'm not going to spend any money on it. <laughs> That's fair. It did get a lot of like varied reviews. I happen to yeah. love the game and I know a lot of other outlets that did too, but I, but there is a lot of difference in opinion on whether it's good or not. And, you know, um, the artful escape has really shitty gameplay, but I completely forgive it for that. You know, I don't care about the gameplay because the gameplay is not the point of that game. Mm-hmm. It's the music and it's the uh, the world you're going around. And have either of you played the Artful Escape yet? I have not. <sighs> wow. And you said you wanted to play Oxenfree too. <laughs> I do because Oxenfree is good. Well, picture the Artful Escape is sort of like um, Oxenfree, except with a lot of psychedelic music. Living the life of David Bowie, basically. Hmm. Oh, the question is, have you, have you, um, oh, let's go on to Scott. What have you been playing, Scott? I've been playing a lot of Triangle Strategy, and I also played uh, Tunic. Ah, Um, I've been playing a lot of Tunic myself. Yeah, Tunic is a really good. Uh, I would say combination of Zelda and Mist. You have the, of course, the uh, top-down adventuring. It's isometric. Yeah, isometric view of a uh, of a fox link, and you have to go. First, you get a stick. You early get a stick, on. and the achievement is I got a stick. <laughs> yeah, and you have to go find the sword, which is in the forest. Oh, uh, you, you have to follow to... those signs. By the way, um, Tim Schafer, you know who Tim Schafer is, right? Um, he's in Double Fine, and he asked me how how in the how in the world do you find the sword? Because I don't think it exists. And I said, well, you know, you just have to follow the signs. 
And one of the things is that I miss them because they're hard to see, but sometimes you have to, there's sometimes these ladders that are in the background that you sometimes miss because they blend a bit too well into the background. And, um, yeah, you have to really look, you have to get, you have to, you have to do a lot of walking against various surfaces to see if there's hidden doors or hidden chests or hidden little nooks to, to go through. There's a lot of it. And And uh, a lot of this, this is basically an action puzzle game because in order to get through certain places, you have to have the sword because only the sword can cut down these bushes, which block your path. And then you come up against a machine gun and guess what? You need to block the machine. You need a shield, you know? Yeah. And uh, every time, you know, going around and picking up the, uh, the manual, which is great. I love the way the the manual looks because it's just a little bit of English and a lot of it is just mindless runes. I don't even know if they are are actually an alphabet or anything, but it's sort of like giving you just enough to tell you exactly what something is. But then you have to use your brain case to figure out what they're, what they mean. Like when they do stamina, you know, they don't have any words about it. They just show the Fox. And if he's tired, then it says, Oh, one fifty percent damage. Um, and you can't use your, you know, this little graph underneath it's, you're going to love this, uh, TJ, when you play it, it's a lot of figure it out yourself. Gameplay. Yeah. Or, we're only going to give you a little bit of information. You have to figure it out. <laughs> there is also accessibility, I guess I would call it, uh, options where you can turn off the stamina usage. And also there's a no fail state if you, you know, don't want to die. Because yeah. there's, there's some really uh, difficult oh. fights. Here's the thing I found. Um, they're only difficult because you haven't found the right weapon and or shield or whatever yet. Because some of the people who seemed... Uh, difficult. Oh, guess what? I got to the house and oh, look at all these sticks of dynamite. Guess what's going to do to those people? You know, there's a part where spiders attack you all at once, and that's when you need to use a bomb. You know, um, there's also like the guys with the swords. You know, they, I think they're like raccoons. Um, they're only difficult when you have the uh, when you have the stick because the stick doesn't do too much damage against them. So you have to figure out how to dodge roll, you know, the ones with the shields, you have to dodge roll and try and get behind them, that sort of thing. It's it's only it's it's like, OK, you want to fit win this battle, you have to have the right stuff equipped. Oh, yeah, I did get the wand, the, the little laser. Oh, I haven't wand. gotten the wand yet. No. Yeah, that that works great. I got the shield and the wand. Um, I actually got the wand before I got the shield. Uh, wow, really? <laughs> yeah. It took okay. a little while to figure out where the shield was. Um, actually, I kind of found it on accident. Um, but, yeah, you do a lot of exploring and trying to figure out what – because I found that dark tomb that's, like, totally dark. Yeah, I haven't gotten there yet. It's sort of light. Yeah, I need I, – I, I don't know. There's a, oh, there's no, I found, I found where to get torches, so – yeah. <laughs> I need to find where to get the torches. You can get the, yeah. Um, well, uh, you know, I'm not going to tell you because I don't want to get into spoiler territory. But there's a reason they have that map there. Yeah. The manual, right? Yeah, um, I, I did get the overworld map uh, page, which shows you at least half of the world, I think. And, uh, you, you know, get, yeah. and, it, and it shows you where you are on the map at all times. So that really helps, too. It does? All I see is the circle around the home. Huh. I'll have to I'll have to check it out next time. But anyways, if I was to describe Tunic, uh, the one word I'd use is charming. A very charming, yes. Uh, very mysterious and intriguing. 
and little and very it feels very felt. It feels like you're playing with a lot of fabric. It's it's almost like playing a Kirby game except with more intense combat. <laughs> yeah. So I know uh, we're really raising uh, the, uh, TJ's expectations for Tunic now after he's been following it since 20, what was it, 15? 2017, 2015? Whenever it was announced by Xbox initially. No, I think it was at PC Game. Wasn't it the PC Gaming Show that they showed off for Tunic? Maybe. Probably I feel not. like I feel like Xbox has always been showing Tunic off. What's funny is that the people who who did had to you know the developers of Tunic said we're not going to be on Game Pass we're not going to be on Game Pass we're not going to be on Game Pass two days before it's released oh by the way we're on Game Pass mm-hmm. I wonder if that was sort of bargaining uh, so maybe a bargaining tactic I don't know but you know what I'm glad uh, uh, it's getting as big a, an audience as possible for it so that people who are sort of on the on the edge say mm, you know what it's on Game Pass I might as well try it. You know, I'd, I'd like to make a comment because uh, I've been playing Elden Ring too, and one of the things I don't like about Elden Ring is all those comments are very trollish and kind uh, of useless and even hazardous to your player character. That's why and, the SRB doesn't rate uh, inter- interactions with people on the internet. <laughs> right, and the, but the thing that's nice about Tunic is that the Finji developers are on Discord, and I can go over there oh. and talk to them, and it's almost like the old days of gaming where I would go talk to my friends and be like, Hey, how do I get past this? And what does this mean? And I don't, you know, whatever. And they'll nicely talk to you because they've, they've developed a nice uh, community there. So you have, I I feel a better uh, interactive community there than I did with Elden Ring, which I found very not engaging. You know, I Uh, think it's a beautiful game, but I just, you know, just, I don't know. I, I don't like the stupid little, jokes with the finger butthole that's funny i've seen that 50 times now you know know, i wonder if um tim schaefer is is so enamored of tunic that he's going to do his own version of tunic this makes me nervous that scott is probably uh rating my messages bad when i uh go on any sort of because i'm exactly the type of person that goes on you just you just post jump here uh these jump here messages go ahead jump here yeah no i'm not that guy i'm absolutely not that guy i I mean it was funny the first five times i saw that message yeah no i no, i'm the guy who jumps on top of any any like post or pillar oh you mean you're the guy who sent you're the guy who no you're the guy who left that message on top of the switch in the beginning huh (laughs) i am the guy that jumps on top of any pillar or post or phallic object and writes take all at once butthole oh okay god damn it (laughs) so why i don't like elden ring ignoring them i I don't (laughs) even bother rating i just pretend they're not there (laughs) okay why i don't like elden ring um it's because it's not hard. It's grindy. And any games in which you either have to grind or exploit, it's like, no. I, I have so many minutes in the day. The com- the combat is not hard. I mean, yeah, swing, dodge roll, whatever. You know, I didn't go with the magic route because I didn't want to do the exploits that everybody's been doing. And oh, by the way, for those of you who've been able to complete Elden Ring in under 30 minutes, I hope you had fun playing it. I do. Did you have fun playing it? <laughs> do, you, do you ever play and say, you know what, I'm just going to take my time and enjoy this. Oh, look, there's a guy on a horse who's murdering me. Mm-hmm. I just, it's not connecting with me. You know, and here's the thing that it is doing. It's making me want to play Dark Souls games more. 
Interesting. The, the original Dark Souls game, you know, one, two, and three. But Elden Ring is not connecting with me. I don't think I've ever. <laughs> I can see where you're coming from with the grind because, like, in the, especially in the early areas, you do not you do not get a lot as far as like what you do, and so you got to kill a lot if you're gonna level up. I mean, those guys who are just those those soldiers are just standing around there with their shield and their and their pike, and they say, "Oh yeah, dodge roll behind you, sneak up behind you, bang bang bang, you're dead, boom." Right. And so that's why I kind of didn't even worry about levels for a while. I just kind of wandered around the world. And here's the thing. When um, I watch um, the Let's Plays of, of Dark Souls, you get you get better equipment fairly quickly, you know? I mean, it depends on where you go in Elder Ring, I think. There's no, I'm, not talking, I'm talking about Dark Souls, though, in general. I know, but like, what I'm saying is that for Elden Ring in that regard, it depends on where you go. There's like, there's caves right out of the gate that you can get to that... Uh, they give you some pretty decent gear. By the way, I actually skipped the tutorial uh, section of, of of the first cave. I just went out out. I mean, I, I figured out the controls, and then when I decided to go back to the beginning, I didn't die. I just went back to the beginning. I said, oh, wait, there's a cave here. Oh, because I was looking for the guy who um, I thought that the guy who you can buy stuff was was in there, but he wasn't. And I said, wait a minute, they're showing me the tutorial now? Really? Which is good because you get an achievement for doing it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, like it's, it's a very different game. And I agree with Scott that the, that the community can be a bit insufferable, which is why I don't really read what people have to say online about it. They've been doing it since Dark Souls one. What are you talking about? Yeah. The whole gatekeeping thing is just dumb. Gatekeeping is just jerking off. There are people arguing that you shouldn't do summons or you shouldn't do this or you shouldn't do that or everything's cheating and it's just ridiculous. Well, if, if you shouldn't do summons, then why did they include that as a feature of the game? I, I know. It's ridiculous if you to use, argue about that. If you use summons or magic or or uh, or co-op or the Moonvale Katana or Turtle Pope or the horse or heavy attacks – or healing flasks, then you're not doing it right. See, here's the thing. <laughs> here's the thing for these people out, these these, these children out there. Um, I want to remind, I have a life, so I only have a set amount of time in the day to play games. And that's why I don't like grindy games, because I'm not going to waste all my game uh, time on it, you know? I mean, right now, I am replaying XCOM 2, and I'm doing The Hunt for the Chosen now, and... Um, I'm having fun. Why? Because it can save at any time. And uh, if you if you don't think XCOM 2 is hard, just play on Iron Man on the hardest level and then see what happens when you have a 95% chance of hitting someone who's right in front of you and they're the size of a tank. And the game says, nope, you missed. No, nope, you missed. Sorry. Sucks to be you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I play hard games. These these kitties would never survive Civ Six on on uh, well, damn it, I forgot. Is it godlike or godlike? Godlike, yeah. You know, or actually, Civilization One when they the game literally cheated. I'm like I think one of the biggest powers that Elden Ring has is the sense of discovery. Yeah, I mean that's the one thing you know you can see the big world and if you see something all the way over there you know you can get to it. There's some things that obscures that it obscures from you, even in the big yeah. world. I uh, the recent this last weekend, I was uh, I was wandering around in Caleb, which is like the worst place in the game. You jump over a burning fence, and it's like 
red skies, bog marshes, Tyrannosaurus Rex shaped dogs, uh, 15 foot tall crows and poison everywhere. And the, and it's just like a horrible place. It's a really horrible place. And then you jump on this freaking wind geyser and I'm riding on my horse and I see this craggy looking hill to the side. I'm like, wow, that hill's looking a little scaly. And then it starts moving and I realize that hill is an actual factual fit, like 60 foot long dragon. And I'm like, holy yeah. shit, that's so cool. I just yeah. want to be its friend. <laughs> Not in this that's game. why. Uh, well, that's why um, the wikis for for the for the Soulsborne games by From Software are about a mile huge, because people are always finding stuff. And the thing is, oh, you want to defeat that character? Well, you know, it's easy. Just um, go get this uh, amulet, which you can find in this dungeon, which is beyond these doors, which are hidden by a lake, which is hidden by a thing, which you have to make sure that you have this other thing in your hand to access. And then it's just a piece of cake. You just have to go through all that just to get a special amulet to defeat this one creature. Easily. <laughs> but yeah, uh, like I said, it just makes me want to play different uh, uh, Dark Souls games, not this Soulsborne game. And everybody keeps on telling me that Bloodborne is the best of the of the Soulsborne games, but it's not on PC yet, so... Anyways... Um, I guess I already talked about what I was playing and, and all of that. Uh, so, yeah, we're going to move on to the quick news. And uh, Activision Blizzard faces fresh allegations of sexual harassment and discrimination in a new lawsuit. And here we go again, folks. And this is at, this is going on at the same time that um, the FCC is, is, uh, is, you know, Microsoft has gotten past the first hurdle for acquiring Activision Blizzard. And, I'm pretty sure, you know, I, here's the thing. This, these allegations probably didn't happen, you know, like a week ago. They're probably new allegations from, you know, a few months ago. But it's just bad PR after bad PR after bad PR for Activision Blizzard. And I'm pretty sure a lot of the employees just can't wait for Microsoft to take over. This is like the third or fourth lawsuit against Activision Blizzard in one year. Less than one year, actually, because the California one kicked off in July. Um. And so, the California one is different because that's the actual state. It's not. It's not a class action. So the state started. It started with a with a lawsuit from the state, the Department of Equal Labor and Housing. Um, and then there was the, and then there was the SEC probe, um, <laughs> which which I think they settled that one. But uh, then there was the then there's the lawsuit that came up about. A little earlier this year, over the person that committed suicide on a work retreat, uh, there there's a lawsuit now for uh, wrongful death against Activision Blizzard. And, and also this, retaliation as well. And then there's this one, which is uh, – which Retaliation. Is, uh, retaliation because uh, for the uh, company uh, – which retaliating against them after talking about her experiences at the company back in December. And uh, this also comes after Biden just put into effect a law that allows that uh, that bars forced arbitration, which is to say (laughs) companies companies can no longer force uh, employees to go into like to basically deal with it inside the company. I think we talked about this a few weeks ago. Yeah, but it matters because it's like it. You have to imagine that like some of these lawsuits are coming out now because 
there's a law in place that law in place from Biden gives them the opportunity that they otherwise would be shut down by the company. What's that banging noise? I don't know. I think I'm tapping. Possibly. But yeah, um, moving that, uh, Soren Johnson says Civ 3's bargaining table is quote unquote a big mistake. And I'm pretty sure you remember this, uh, uh, Scott. Uh, remember when you had the two sides and, you know, you had, you can offer this and you can offer this. And Soren Johnson said, and this was at GDC, uh, players were ruining the game for themselves. Given the opportunity, players will optimize the fun out of a game. There's no cost to contacting every sieve every turn and also endlessly tinkering with how to get the best deal possible. No reason just to just put one more gold piece on the, your side of the table until you hit the AI's maximum price for what you're what you're trading away. So, yeah, uh, this is when Ming maxing beyond belief. Right. Uh, gaming the uh, uh, op- uh, the opponent AI and it makes it less interesting and less engaging and it's more like this just how can i abuse the ai civilization and just take whatever i want uh from them uh and, and the I problem that soren had also was that a lot of games adopted this kind of bargaining i mean even stellaris uses it i thought was soren johnson the one that did Civ five i can't remember no that was brian reynolds i believe um soren johnson just did old world that was that game that was a mix of Crusader Kings and Civ. Right. Okay. Um, it's been a long time. I, I thought he did one of the Civs. Um, no, Brian jo- uh, Brian Reynolds did it's either five or four. I think it was four. And I think some. Oh, no, yeah. Um, Dennis Shirk, I think, did five. Right. Dennis Shirk was five. Um, Brian Reynolds was four. And then we had the fan made. Civ Six. I forgot the names of the guys who did it, but they're basically Civ fan, Civ fans who became developers and got the chance to develop their own Civ. Anyways, uh, AMD's FSR 2.0 upscaling tech heads to Xbox. It's similar to Nvidia's DLSS technology, but it only works on Nvidia two, uh, 20 series cards and newer. In contrast, FSR 2.0 is GPU agnostic, so it'll only work on GPU AMD and Nvidia. Uh, what people are finding strange is that. There's no announcement for the Sony. They announced the partnership with Xbox. I think this might be something that happens later because um, one thing that uh, one thing that Sony is talking about, they released their new update and they said they're going to bring uh, variable frame rates later this year, if I remember correctly. Uh, so I think Sony's hand is full with with I don't know working on on optimizing the PS5 before they get into a new uh, you know new technology. For their graphics cards. Mm-hmm. And uh, finally, uh, City Builder Dorf Romantic it properly launches next month. Uh, Dorf Romantic gives you a stack of procedurally generated t- landscape tiles, which then you have to place one by one to create a whole map. You'll be scored on how well those tiles fit together, and you'll run across pre-placed objects as you go. As you go, they'll offer more directed goals. It sort of reminds me of Suburbia. I don't know if you've ever played that that board game. But yeah, you keep on you keep on adding on to tiles to the map. It's really cute looking. It's also very relaxing from what I hear. Hmm. I uh, one of my colleagues has brought this game up several times over while it's been in the <laughs> access, and I've never actually taken the chance to play it. But it sounds very calming. It's yeah, it's basically you know it's like a puzzle game except it's a city builder. So. Mm-hmm. Anyways, we're going to move on to the major game news. Uh, go ahead, uh, TJ. 
PlayStation 5 owners report online issues following system update from Eurogamer. PlayStation owners were reporting issues connecting to servers in Elden Ring, Grand Theft Auto, Call of Duty, and other games. The issue followed the release of uh, Sony's new PlayStation 5 system software update. Elden Elden Ring fans were being greeted by an error message which stated that Sony's servers could not verify uh, PlayStation Plus subscription. Initially, Elden Ring fans believed it to be the game's own maintenance, which had also come out with a patch that day. Um, but the plan, but the planned work had seen multiplayer servers go offline for an hour that morning. Uh, that said, a subsequent update on Elden Ring Twitter account on the Elden Ring Twitter account now cautioned that the server maintenance for PlayStation and Steam will be prolonged. Still, users were confused why the game was displaying a PlayStation Plus error about a subscription error. Uh, could not verify PlayStation Plus subscription. Now PlayStation owners are finding issues with other games. Uh, were fi- well, they were finding issues with other games and multiplayer servers as well and reporting problems with their PlayStation Plus subscriptions being recognized. Um, it had a specific error code for it, and it was like it had something to do with like the PlayStation, the PS5 update itself. Yeah. Um, they fixed it eventually on that day, but it was still pretty concerning that like – Yeah, people were talking about, well <sighs> – would this have happened if I was using a physical copy of a game? Because people are, are finding out, yeah, your game's going to be taken away just like that, you know. Elden Ring could be played in offline mode, and uh, but it was like there were so many different games. I, I tried to jump. I confirmed it myself that morning when I was writing my version of the story. And uh, for Elden Ring, it said PlayStation Plus subscription cannot be verified. For Guilty Gear, it said it gave me this error. It said uh, something went wrong, and then it gave me an error code. So it was different depending on what game you played. And that's even weirder to me. Yeah, I mean, I mean, everything has to be tied online these days. I mean, even if you're playing offline, it's like it's like a gamble, you know, and. I was reading a lot of people are saying, well, this is why I like sometimes having physical copies of the games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have so much of the games that are even single player going online these days. And it's like, Could you imagine if Cyberpunk or Fallout 76 or any of these games that have bugs and require fixing were physical only and you didn't get a patch to update them and you just had to live with whatever bugs these games had? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. Of, oh, do you know anything about uh, the initial uh, No Man's Sky release? The yeah, physical... I remember that. It was bad. No, oh, well, here's the thing. The physical copies um, had a whole different other game. So when you put the disc in, it actually downloaded the entire other game to it. So they, it actually was two different games if you were playing it offline and online. Hmm. Um. Yeah, like I, I I do miss the days of physical hardware to a certain degree, but I can't deny I've kind of become accustomed to the fact that I can just put everything on my hard drive and not worry about a disc. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Steam told people uh, back in 2003 that, you know, here's the thing. If for whatever reason Steam is no longer exists, we'll allow you to download entire copies of our games onto a disc so that you don't have to – so you don't, it's not like you're going to lose it. I don't think anybody's worrying about that anymore, but it is – Concerning that 
you can lose your games because remember last year they were talking about how this bug in the PlayStation was it four or five? I think it was the four in which people could not play their game anymore, even if they had a physical copy, because it was not able to communicate with uh, with Sony and say this is a real game. Hmm. Yeah, I, like the one that really really bothers me is like. You have all you have some always online games that uh, once the once the publisher decides it's unfeasible to continue to keep that game servers going, and they decide to turn that game servers off, then you officially have a dead game that you just can't play regardless of how oh. much fun you're having, how much the player base is there. MMO players have been used to that for years now. It still sucks though. It's it's a, a shame that some games just outright die not because of lack of interest maybe and there are games that have single player modes to them that outright die even if you just say you know what look at dark spore dark spore was a was a full game that you could play online or offline but once ea took their servers off guess what you can't play dark spore anymore for whatever reason and i mean this is going to be a funny example but lawbreakers whether you like that game or not you cannot play it anymore because they killed the servers. I think you can still play it. I think there's three people playing it on Steam right now. I don't think so. I think they turned the servers off. No, uh, but here's some some games actually allow you to go peer to peer, and some some developers actually do uh, patch in. Yeah, you can play this peer to peer if you really need to. Anyways, yeah. we're we're gonna move on to the next item. Mass Effect trilogy co-creator returning to science fiction, and this comes to us from Shack News. Uh, it's been a while since Mass Effect Trilogy co-creator and Bioware general manager Casey Hudson left his former developer uh, behind to start on something new. He started by forming Humanoid Studios and has been hiring and prepping new content with this team since. Now it appears that Hudson pl- has plans to return to science fiction. The updated website for Humanoid shares that his team is working on a new AAA IP that will be released multi-platform. Humanoid web- uh, Studios' website was updated with various new details and from Hudson and his crew this past weekend. According to the new studio's mission, is now working on putting together a quote-unquote multi-platform AAA game focusing on character-driven narrative in an all-new science fiction universe. That sounds awfully familiar. Uh, it goes on to say that Humanoid is dedicated to creating a safe and constructive environment which in which interactive storytelling thrives, unbridled by the stress of unsustainable practices and outside influence. Jay, I wonder who he could be talking about. <laughs> the studio is still hiring. <laughs> we don't know much about the new sci-fi EAP. But expect news to come in due time. And, oh, by the way, this article was written by TJ. Yeah, uh, he's not talking about electronic arts, is he? Uh, I get the feeling that there might be some uh, some hard feelings. <laughs> so if you recall, uh, both Casey Hudson and Mark Dura, who is the writer for the Dragon Age series, both quit Bioware because they felt that they were, you know, being impinged upon by EA. Um. There, uh, Mark Dara in particular went ham on Bioware fairly recently because uh, a conversation was happening about Bioware Magic, which was uh, in a YouTube video from Stephanie Sterling, and um, he and so he made his own YouTube uh, thing about how Bioware Magic is basically bullshit in a flowery way of saying crunch. Yeah. Um. What, what makes me feel comfortable is that EA had no idea that Dragon Age 4 was being developed. They just started on it and said, oh, by the way, we're working on Dragon Age 4, whether you like it or not. You can tell us to stop, but guess what? We've used all these resources, so let us do what we want. 
Here's the thing. Dragon Age Inquisition, I love the story, but the gameplay was a hot mess. It was just so bad. And partly because it was originally basically Fallout 76, except more Mm -hmm. MMO-ish. And they turned it into a single-player game when they realized, you know what? Guess what can't do this? Oh, yeah, the Frostbite engine. So it's safe to say Humanoid Studios will not be using the Frostbite engine. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it looks like... It's not on our list here, but they also, but C, uh, CD Projekt Red also said that they were starting work on The Witcher 4. Yeah. And they're, and they're moving away from their own engine to use Unreal Engine for... Uh, yeah, they, they're talking about the Unreal Engine 5, and people were wondering if it, they could actually do it on Unreal Engine 5. Which is interesting, because CD, because from what they said, it looks like Cyberpunk is going to continue to work on their old engine. Uh, but everything else is going to be ported over to Unreal Engine from the from here on out. On on an unrelated uh, uh, thing, um, the death there's a Death Stranded uh, Ultimate Edition coming soon, which is going to improve the game in every way, and it's going to be a free update to people who own Death Stranding. Mm-hmm. I have not played Death Stranding yet. So. It is a very odd game. I'm very well aware of that. I said I never played it. I didn't say I didn't know anything about it. <laughs> I know about babies and 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 having to and how the uh, how uh, getting the um, the zip lines completely break the game because basically it's taking away what the main gameplay loop is and that is going from one place to the other. But instead of having to worry about your packages falling over as you're running, oh, I'll just go on the on the zip line and just wheel myself across. <laughs> but on the other hand, it does look like a beautiful game. On the uh, but uh, on the other other hand, oh boy, it's by Hideki Kojima, so. Expect some fucking weird dialogue and situations and odd sexuality. Hmm. The man is an, is a master at doing weird sex. <laughs> he, I, I don't want to know what his dungeon room looks like. He has a dungeon. I'm, I, I, I guarantee the man, that man has a dungeon and uh, a bookcase with about 200 porno uh, DVDs. Weird porno DVDs. Come on! Don't tell me you don't get that. Uh, you don't get that vibe from Hideki Kojima. <laughs> Hideo Kojima. Hideo Kojima. But uh, I don't know. I think he's too busy having a bromance with uh, with Mads Mikkelsen. <laughs> so yeah, um, it'll be interesting to see what this is. Um, I am on a related note. I am getting more and more hyped for Starfield every every week. Everything that every little bite of information that comes out about that game is is just intriguing. Yeah. Also, I am sad to say that State of Decay 3 isn't going to be coming out anytime soon. There was one thing that showed it coming out in 2024, which I hope isn't true. I was thinking 2023, but... There have been a lot of delays this season. Yeah, there's a lot of delay news we're not going to get into. (laughs) Sure. Anyways, we're going to move on to the next item. Go ahead, Scott. Okay. Bungie says last week's Destiny 2 video takedowns were fraudulent. This is from PC Gamer. It turns out that the wave of weird copyright strikes against a number of high-profile Destiny content creators last week were the result of fraudulent takedown requests mixed with a little help from Google. The situation seemed off from the start last week. The takedown requests impacted some of the most popular Destiny, Destiny content creators on YouTube, including including my name is Biff and Azatross, 
Uh, even though the content in question hadn't changed, Bungie stated that even some of its own content was affected, confirmed that the takedown request had not been issued by itself or its partners, and said it was digging into the problem. In today's TAWB, TWAB uh, this weekend, yeah. this week at Bungie. Um, it revealed that the recent wave of takedown included some of takedown actions from fraudulent accounts created to impersonate our IP protective service. Bungie asked what that destiny content creators have patience while it works with YouTube to reserve all fraudulent claims and requested that fans not harass employees of CSC, uh, a company that works with Bungie on IP protection. Bungie said that the recent authentic takedowns were primarily the result of people uploading Destiny soundtrack music, which is not permitted. To mitigate this, Bungie will simply request the videos with soundtrack not be monetized and contact licensing at Bungie.com for permission. You know, I really blame YouTube because they make it too easy for someone to just do a content strike. You're mad at someone just just claim it's comp- copyright. They won't even check. They won't even they'll harass the uh, the the uh, content creator and put the onus on on proof on them, you know, instead of putting the uh, usually you'd put the onus of proof on the person who's making the the accusation. Yeah, and like content claiming is such a mess over on YouTube and on Twitch these days where like the 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 rules around copyright are so ridiculously abusable that you have company that you have groups that have nothing to do with the IP that are that are making claims on 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 certain content on channel if you have like any given amount of music any given amount of imagery, any given amount of, and like, it's not just like groups like Nintendo who we always laugh about are notorious for taking things down. Oh, we're going to have a Nintendo takedown. That's going to be delicious right next. Um, but it's like these, it's like these middle Eastern companies that just like have, that have random company names that are, are making claims on music that they don't own either. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the people who were claiming on this was Bungie Inc. Just so you know, Bungie's trademark is just Bungie, nothing else, no ink attached. Yeah. So most of them are fraudulent companies that are making these claims, but they hope that you won't fight it, and so they they end up with they end up coming out ahead in the end because they can keep making that that claim. I mean, there are people who made content strikes on public domain uh, videos a while ago, which is yeah. of course obviously not allowed because it's public domain. You know, they they attack NASA for airing their own content of the of the uh, launch of 1969. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so. a real mess. And YouTube doesn't do. I would say that YouTube doesn't do near enough to actually like sort it out. I think there should be a bill that says that any content, uh, any any interaction Google does must give the uh, person a right to speak with a human being within 48 hours. Anything else is against the law. Mm-hmm. Just, just make Google had a profit of something like sixty billion dollars. Don't tell me you can't take one billion dollars of that and just hire a hundred thousand um, people at minimum wage to whose job it is is just to investigate uh, copyright claims. Yeah. 
Uh, it doesn't look like a issue that's about to get any better anytime soon because YouTube is most certainly not doing. It's definitely not a. Co- uh, it's definitely not a monopoly, right? Right. <laughs> Anyways, uh, going to even stupider. <laughs> Nintendo takes down scans of 1996 Super Mario 64 strategy guide, and this comes from Kotaku. Last week, Kotaku shared some images of the Super Mario 64 Complete Clear Guide book, a tome released in Japan alongside the game that was notable for the fact that, instead of just telling where players were to go, a series of incredible real-world dioramas were commissioned to serve as 3D maps. The book was released in 1996 in Japan. It has never been released in the West, never has been released anywhere since, and has not been commercially available for decades. The only places you can purchase a copy if you had the cash to spend hundreds of dollars on one on resale on eBay or Yahoo. It would have been the easiest thing in the world for Nintendo to leave this be or have let Mario fans enjoy the thing that they never had a chance to enjoy before. Having high-quality scans uploaded to the public domain wasn't just rec- for recreation either. It was preserving the book's contents and making them publicly accessible long after the int- opportunity to purchase the book directly had disappeared. Nintendo of America sent a takedown notice earlier today to Internet Archive, where the scans were being hosted, who passed it on to the scans uploader Comfort Food uh, Video Games. CFVG uh, sent uh, Kotaku this statement after the takedown, which pretty much sums up the whole situation up. Sadly, Archive.org sent me their usual takedown notice email telling me that Nintendo of America challenged the copyright of the scan and it was removed. Frankly, I'd love to challenge the legitimacy of that and how Nintendo of America would have anything to do with a Nintendo of Japan licensed gem books guide from 1995, but I really can't find Nintendo legal team here. It's incredibly disappointing. Nintendo hates their fans, don't they? Uh, it feels like it. it, it, it it's, they they don't care. It, they they view it as like they're a toy maker, and they will put things in the vault or say no, you can't have this, and and just just like I just don't understand it. Yeah, it is a bummer. Like again, he's right to say like there he probably would have a case if they probably would have a case if they had the uh, resources to go to court with Nintendo, but like. And they don't. And that's the end of that. Uh, say what you want about George Lucas, but before he sold the Star Wars IP to, to Star Wars, uh, to Disney, um, he made every single sound file from the films available for, for people to use in their fan films and all that stuff. He, what's it called? He allowed fan films. He allowed uh, what would normally, which you could claim, hey, that's copyright you know, violation. No, he said, just do it. I don't care. Just do it. Just do it. And then he'd wear his Han, Han shot first T-shirt. <laughs> and yes, he does wear Han shot first T-shirt. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like I said, Nintendo has an incredibly devoted fan base. Unfortunately, they're like an abused spouse. I don't know why they keep on, you know, saying, oh, they'll, they'll, they'll be fine. Uh, they'll get better. No, they won't get better. At what point do you think they're going to get better? Yeah. It, like, they won't. That's the fact of the matter. And, I mean, people will forget because Kirby comes out uh, tomorrow uh-huh. and everybody's going to be super happy about that and it's getting good reviews and it's uh, and it's a joyous occasion. And but, a couple of years ago, Nintendo was putting copyright strikes on gameplay videos for any of their games, their new games. Mm-hmm. Never made sense because you're advertising the game for people to go and get the game. I, I mean, here's the thing. Uh, I guess they have the legal right to do that, but why would you? 
I don't do because I, I I do see content creators creating Mario or playing Mario games. Like there's a YouTuber plays Minecraft and his in his skin is Mario, and I've never seen him get in trouble for that. And I just don't understand. I don't think. Uh, see, here's the thing: the uh, the, the bots can't detect a blocky Mario like that. They'll just mm-hmm. see this blocks with colors and shapes on it. They're not going to interpret. Until someone tells Nintendo, hey, look, that's Mario there. Then you can just say, hey, okay, content, strike. <laughs> um, here's the thing. Uh, Microsoft got in a lot of trouble because money. Sony, with the PlayStation 3, they lost a lot of money, and they improved the PlayStation 4. Microsoft was forced to be more consumer-friendly with the Xbox, uh, the Xbox One X. You know, until fans hit Nintendo in the place where they care about, you know, the pocket, you know, Nintendo only cares about money. And until you take money away from Nintendo, they're not going to change. That's the, that's the basic it, you know, Microsoft and Sony fans have learned that. I mean, that's why Sony is all of a sudden trying to decide how to make their own version of game pass. You know, (laughs) they're trying to, you know, it's a copycat system, you know, unfortunately it's Microsoft and, and Sony are copycatting each other. They're not. Nintendo is still trying to figure out how what this old internet thing is. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the funny. That's kind of the funniest and saddest part of that is like Nintendo still cannot internet. What it's, is this thing? There's too many child predators on on the internets. And I think one of the reasons. Well, actually, I don't know because they they can internet with some games. They can internet with Splatoon. Well, here's the thing. Yeah, yeah. Let's put a timeout on that. They can do that with the kind of uh, with the kind of net coding they do because Japan is a very, very, very small country, a very dense small country, and you don't really have to work at it. You know this with if you try to play Super Smash Brothers with the internet code that's used for it. If you try to do it from uh, to, uh, from New York to L.A., that's fucking laggy shit. It is. Heck, you try to do it from, like, Texas to Kansas, it's still laggy as hell. But the fact of the matter is, like, there are games where they're capable of doing good online. Splatoon has good online. Splatoon has good online, and then some of the Nintendo Switch online library works well. Like, they just released F-Zero X for uh, the Nintendo 64, and by all accounts I've heard, it plays great. And plays well online and multiplayer as well. And it's like, how can these games work and and Nintendo Switch's code net, or I'm sorry, uh, Super Smash Bros. Ultimate's net code can't? And I don't, I I don't have an answer for that. It's people perplexing buy it. to me. People buy it. And here's the thing about Super Smash Brothers. Generally, they're gonna make money if it was if it had no online uh, mode at all. You know, sure. it's like they're begrudging. Uh, let's just tack this thing on. Maybe get a few more bucks. We don't have to do anything with it. Just, just, just tack it on. Mario Kart. Mario Kart has great netcode. That game runs impeccably online. I don't understand it. I don't understand how it's such a different experience depending on the Nintendo game you play. Well, we'll see. It's going to be interesting to see within the company. It's going to be interesting to see where Nintendo is 10 years from now. Yeah, I mean they're in a good they're in good shape right now because they have sold so many Nintendo Switches that they basically have been- Yeah, they also sold how many Wii's and then when the Wii U came out it was like, "Oh god, we're losing money hand over fist." 
It's so easy yeah. to just turn that right around. Uh, I, here's the thing. Iwata is gone. You have the business people back in charge again. The business people are back in charge again. But their plan is just make more switches and sell more switches, which isn't a bad strategy. Well, I mean, the, Sony's strategy is to sell more PS4s because there's a PS5 shortage. <laughs> I don't sure. know. Uh, but... Sure, some, but the fact of the matter is, at this point, they've crossed they've crossed about 91 million consoles worldwide, which is more. They've they've made it past. Well, actually, that was from March. Thir- that was from March last year. I think they've gone over 100 million uh, at this point, and they've crossed the uh, the threshold where they where the Nintendo Switch has outsold the Wii. Yeah, but then you have to get someone to buy another another one. And um, remember what happened to the Wii U. The P- People who bought the Wii said, I don't need another console. I have the Wii. Why would I want to buy a Wii U? I already have the Wii. What's this thing you call upgrading your console? We don't do that. They still are selling them, though. And, I mean, that's really all that needs to happen for them to continue to be. Here's a question. Do you think they're ever going to do anything but a Switch? I think they're going to Just iterate the same. Just keep on selling reissuing the same old Switch over and over just with some better bells and whistles. I think they're coming into the end cycle of the switch. I think, I think it's, I think the switch, it's trajectory and life cycle is more comparable to the Nintendo DS than it is to the Wii, where I think we're about to enter into the, the, some of the final iterations of the Nintendo switch where like, up at this point, we had the, the new Nintendo 3DS XL. Where it was, but is there going to be something else after the switch? I don't know. I think they're going to. What if they just decide? Okay, we're done. We're going to pull out now. I have a feeling that they're just going to keep making improved switches. Um, I'm not sure about that, but see, they're no longer even making two uh, consoles. They're not making the handheld and the and the and the home console. They just merge them into two. And I think that's robbing them of some momentum. I don't know. I think they've consolidated. Uh, they've pretty much consolidated their player base onto one machine. Things look good now. Okay, come back to me in ten years. I think that they're. I don't think they're going to be selling the Switch in ten years, but I do think that they're going to keep making newer version of the Switches for another five years. I'm telling you, there's a good chance Nintendo may pull out altogether if it's more profitable. If it's more profitable, they're they're the money people. They're the money people. If they're not if they're not if they're not uh, you know if their stocks aren't going up, then they're just say you know we're going to just sell our stock. We'll get out now. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, here, here's the thing. I know it's hard to hear about, but you know, in 1990, no one thought that Atari would be going leaving, or Sega for that matter. Well, Sega is at least still making games, and I know... Um, Atari is making games, yeah. <laughs> yes, that know, VCS, that, that, that crypto machine, yeah. <laughs> no one's, I have to look up if anybody's actually friggin' playing any of those games. What are they, Steam games or what? You know? And by the way, the Amico is supposed to be launched, but no one knows anything about it. <laughs> the Amico is just... What is this thing? It's like, oh, what was the name of that that 
Remember that handheld that was owned by the uh, by the mafia? You remember this? Know. It was a handheld console, and I'm trying to remember the name of it. That was owned by the mafia. It was owned by organized crime. Uh, the Gizmondo. Yeah. <laughs> the Gizmondo had links to organized crime. Huh. Look it up, everybody. Just look it up. It was not. It was not the Italian mafia. It was the Swedish mafia. The Swedish uh, criminal organization called the Uppsala Mafian. It's just just a weird weird console, weird origins. <laughs> Back in two thousand five, the Gizmondo. Look it up, for everybody. I might do a gaming. I think we already did a gaming history like ten years ago about the Gizmondo. Hmm. But this needs. We need to talk about the Gizmondo next week. It is a, just a wacky story. And if anybody out there um, remembers the Gizmondo or the story about the Gizmondo, post in the in the comments because guess what? Our comments are working again, so you can post about that sort of stuff. Look for our show notes at GamingPodcast.net, along with industry news and our Gaming History articles. We enjoy feedback, so leave us comments on our blog at GamingPodcast.net. Also, if it's Facebook.com slash GamingPodcast, super advertising on iTunes, and some iTunes comments, you can find me on Twitter at Jonah Falcon. You can find me at Johnny Chucks. You can find me at Charter Moore. And we will see you next week. Happy gaming, everyone. Have fun. Be cool. Play games, y'all. Now you're all looking up the Gizmondo as we speak, aren't you? No. It is a shitty. It was a shitty handheld console. <laughs> Just look it up, Gizmondo. Even the name of it is, is you know, what it sounds like it sounds. It's what ones I used to play were the tiger little one. Oh, the tiger things are cute. I mean, those yeah. are the little LCD things. Yeah, that's fine. Mondo. Like the tiger tiger telematics. Yeah. Gizmondo. It actually was developed by. Uh, by the way, the Gizmondo was developed by Tiger. Just so you know. <laughs> Oh god, the Gizmondo was this weird looking thing. It looked like an alien. Or maybe a teddy oh, bear. Good. And it, what games did it have? I'm trying to Games did it have it was backed by the Swedish Mafia. That that was weird number one. Mm-hmm. But I think actually this might have been what killed uh, by the way, this might have been what killed Tiger. Yeah. It looks weird. It has a it has a play stop fast forward and rewind button. Yeah, because it was also it was also going to be a cell phone, too. Uh, oh, okay. I think. I'm not sh- Like I said, uh, we're going to talk about the Gizmondo next week because it is just a, one of the weirdest uh, weirdest uh, video game stories. Anyways, see you next week. Bye-bye.